more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, uh, listeners, uh, we have a treat for you. Uh, this week, we are in the, the Toronto Reference Library uh, here at TCAP, the Toronto Comics Arts Festivals, one of the really, truly great independent comics festivals in North America. Uh, I also had the great pleasure to be sitting here in the Conundrum Press booth uh, with uh, the, the, the two authors of Ouija, serial photographer Walter Manot, uh, the artist uh, and uh, the writer Max de Rodriguez uh, hopefully we'll get him in for a question or two look thank you so much for being on More to Come okay so obviously I mean Ouija is a great cultural figure uh, I mean his, his photographs are well known uh, I mean a book about him really seems fascinating and certainly a visual book about him but can, uh, tell us why you wanted to do Essentially, a biography, a visual yeah, yeah. biography of uh, of Ouija. Yeah, true. It's it's a bit of a coincidence because uh, I shared the studio with Max Di Rodriguez, uh, who, is, who is a friend also. But I knew Ouija for a long time as a student. I was influenced by his work, uh, and Max actually saw a big exhibition of Ouija in New York uh, many many years later. And it was uh, purely coincidental that he proposed this to me and that I was like, oh, Ouija, man! Okay. <laughs> well, I, that's not an unusual reaction to Ouija, yeah. no matter the age. I yeah, mean, the I pictures guess. are fascinating. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you tell that he's like an uh, iconic figure and I'm, I'm glad to hear so, because in, in Europe it was not so known, uh-huh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was... It was a bit forgotten. I think there was there is a revival right now of like uh, early street photographers, and he's a bit considered as, uh-huh. as one of them, in a way. But he was very in- influential, and um, he definitely uh, hit a sweet spot with me. Uh. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the pictures bring together. I mean, this kind of complete sensation, and and some weird, powerful. Popular visual art. I mean, yeah, that's, I the, mean, that's well, the best what, way to describe yeah, it. Actually, yeah. well, what's wonderful, obviously, about what the book, how the book captures of his life, is just how he seems torn. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure many people actually know much about his life. So, you, would you like to maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit? Well, yeah, that was definitely a big surprise for me too. We, mm-hmm. we read the autobiography. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely the, ex- the exhibition, which is touring the world, and I'm not sure if it's finished now, but that was a real eye-opener. I mean, there you saw the human behind the, the, the machine, the, 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 the lens. And uh, yeah, it, was, it was striking how, in an almost naive way, you wanted to be a, a well-known and a respected artist, uh, but at the same time, yeah, it was photographing murders and, and uh, people in the streets of, of uh, Lower East Side for... for uh, Quite crappy newspapers. I mean, there was a big contrast between what he did yeah. and what he what his ambitions were. But actually, he achieved this status uh, in a way. He became the yeah, well-known photographer uh, he wanted to be. Yeah. For those who don't know, I mean, he, I mean, his, he's best known for the pictures, I guess, during the 1930s and 1940s. Yeah. He had a, a police scenes. radio. Yeah. He would often arrived on the scene before the police. Yeah, he uh, created a lot of myths or stories around him, also like. He, he, he desperately wanted to be known, and so he he branded himself as Ouija the Famous. Yes. Every picture he yeah. took was Ouija, credit Ouija the Famous, and he was uh, he was, so, was not subtle. No, he was not <laughs> subtle at all, and and he actually achieved in doing so. That was that's what's great about it. But also, 
so the book is in part about this, but also about the yeah the the difficulties he must have had doing so because it was it must have been a tough life like every night on the roads and just photographing murdered people. And <laughs> but as you as you show in the book, his friends say you're making us so much money. I mean, he was probably one of the most famous photographers yeah, of I the guess time so. yeah, yeah, in yeah. New York City. Yeah, yeah, with these grisly photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a there is a sensationalist aspect. Mm-hmm. In his in his pictures, and he didn't shy away from the, yeah, this. He even put fake blood on, on yeah. the yeah on the or pictures and <laughs> staged the photos. I mean, he staged the photos. As yeah. we live in a, a sort of an art yeah. art photography world now of, of extreme you know verisimilitude and and capturing things as we see it. And no, that no. wasn't his. No, not at all. <laughs> no, he took uh, big liberties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but another thing that's wonderful about the book is also his. I live on the Lower East Side now, okay. so he lives okay. in this really historic. He lived in this historic part of New York City when it was really a gritty ghetto. Yeah, know? yeah, must have been. Yeah. It was, but it was also very alive. If I yes. understood it, so yes, everybody was, today. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was like sitting on the on the stairs in front of the house, living outside. Yes. I mean, we wanted to show this aspect of the. Because I think it's key in his work. He grew up in this neighborhood. He knew everybody, uh, and that's the, that's how he could take those pictures. Because they're, sometimes they're quite intimate. Uh, um, yeah, um, but and he, but he was also torn because he was he grew up in the neighborhood, even though he was, I guess, an immigrant himself yeah, was, from, as, a, as a child. Yeah, he came when he was ten or eleven. But he yeah. grew up in on this uh, on the Lower East Side, yeah. uh, like Jack Kirby, as a matter of fact. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and he hated it, but he couldn't seem to escape it. Although he, he sort, of, sort of did. Yeah, that's eventually. why we we include this this struggle in the book because he was always dreaming a lot of Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood. He wanted to go to Hollywood, but at the same time, his best work definitely is made in the Lower East Side. Yeah. And, and once he got out, I mean, there is a big fall in the yeah. quality. Of you know, a quick question: Would Max be interested in asking, uh, uh, talking about drawing? I mean, writing about writing the script. Excuse me. I guess, Max. Yeah. You have a yeah. one second. Yeah, like, a yeah. second to, to talk about uh, writing the, the script for Ouija. Yeah. Uh, so, like, usually I'm a cartoonist. I do writing and drawing, mm-hmm. and for this one, I'm just the writer. And it was really hard for me in the beginning to be able to let go of the drawing. Yeah. So I drew. <laughs> I drew most of the stuff, and they didn't show it to order. And um, what I did is I, I read everything I could find on Ouija mm-hmm. and I had to digest it because it was too much information. I had too much knowledge and it was hard to write. And so I let some time go. I made several versions of the script and uh, I think I, I don't know how much I had, but I had like at least 10 versions of the script. And uh, when we were ready, I sat with Walter and we read through what we found was interesting and we rebuilt the story from the good scenes from each mm-hmm. script. So it's a kind of a yeah, pell-mell of, of different script that is the final book. One other uh, interesting aspect of the book is that you see or you try to describe the, the creation of a number of his very famous photos. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that in the end of the book, uh, you talk about how you had some photos in at some point, but you decided that it actually didn't really need it. Uh, yeah, so in the because in the French version mm-hmm. we added some actual picture at the end so people could relate to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think in Europe he's not known at all. So that's interesting. I never realized it. I, I assume 
that Luigi was just known around the world. He's such a. He is. He is. But but like I talk with a lot of people, and they once they've seen pictures of uh, him, they, they say, "Ah, oh, okay." Of course, but, that's yeah. it. Yeah, they, of course, the, the pictures themselves are yeah, incredibly yeah. famous. And so, yeah, we wanted people to understand that he was an actual photographer. So uh, that's why we added the picture. And here in the U.S., it makes like less sense. I see. I see. People know him. Who is? Well, the book, uh, the book seems to end, uh, well, he does go off to Hollywood, which he talks yeah. about quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems absurd. I mean, you seem to have captured the absurdity of Ouija in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a <laughs> crazy ending. Um, uh, I guess that's not a question so much as a statement. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, but, yeah, we, yeah, we, we both heard like, Looking at his work, everything that he did, I think you said that, I don't know yeah. because I wasn't listening, but everything that he did that was interesting was before he got really famous. Yeah. So once he achieved his goal of being this recognized artist photographer, it just fell apart like Yeah, it was only interested in photographing nude famous uh, Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, kind of, yeah, he was doing the, the sort of distorted yeah, special effects yeah. pictures and, and even some movies. I think he was an yeah. actor at one point, yeah. Uh, well, look, look. Thank you so much for giving me some time. It's really, uh, it's hard not to be interested in the book. It's very, okay. very gripping. So nice to hear. And it's, uh, it really is kind of a step back in time with this figure that is, uh, for at least for most Americans, the, the figure, the, the photos, uh, they're they're sort of they're so iconic. So, look, thank you for giving me time. It's a wonderful book, and thank you for being on More to Come. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly uh, and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Back at uh, TCAP, Toronto Comic Arts Fest here in Toronto. Um, uh, but once again, we're going to get a chance to talk with Ron Wimberly. Uh, welcome back to the show. You've been oh. on, a, on a couple times before. Uh, one some of our most downloaded episodes wow. uh when you're on your yeah your fan fave um but uh we're going to talk really briefly about lab this is this new uh publication critical manifesto um critical aesthetic response to the time the culture art black life um uh it all matters uh <laughs> Uh, thanks for being on the show yet again. Uh, thank you, Calvin. It's always a pleasure. You know, I like to, you know, chop it up with you. When yeah, I yeah. Get a chance. Uh, well, you you got a, a unique uh, uh, and engrossing take on the culture, so this brings us out here. I mean, uh, you know, I have a, a background in contemporary art, and I used to write some about contemporary art, but I kind of fallen off the critical rap, and never for comics really. But uh, of course, contemporary art is very often so much about pop culture mm. these days. Yeah. Uh, and this new journal, I, you know, I'm going to call it that because it's like newsprint. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's it, it, it's it seems like it's not a finished project. Obviously, yeah, it's no. coming. Right, more right. to come. Yeah, but, but tell us a little bit about what it is and why you did it. Um. Well. <laughs> yeah. I what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Big question, but you can right, break it down. Right, 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 right. Oh shit. Um, uh, um, uh, I would say, like, um, I was looking for a way to speak critically about comics and cartooning, uh, create, like, maybe a critical framework of looking at comics, particularly maybe my particular way of making comics, and uh, um, give a showcase to 
other creators and uh, creative people who I think are uh, important in the critical discourse around aesthetics uh, and how they pertain to comics and pop culture, you know, writ large. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the um, really interesting things about it. I mean, the breadth of the material, the kinds of work you take on, particularly for a comics Mm -hmm. artist. I mean, in that sense, I mean, I think of you as a whole new wave, a whole new kind of comics Mm -hmm. artist anyway. (laughs) Um, And so... The way you do, oh, I do. Who, who is that? I, who, oh, yeah. who else? I got to put you on another time. Uh, <laughs> to try to get in on on our show. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was Bill Campbell. Don't go about. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but to see comics artists obviously taking on uh, the contemporary art world, uh, work outside of the gallery, beyond the printed page, beyond the genre stuff. But you talk about that too. But uh, I'm, I'm rambling here no, because no. there's so many issues that you deal with. Uh, but first of all, an interesting thing, you did, this started as a Kickstarter, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, with Beehive. Beehive uh, kickstarted yeah. it. Um, with Josh O'Neill and, 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 and Mael, yeah. who actually have been on the show also. Mm-hmm. Josh has been on it. Oh, word. yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, all, um, uh, Mael being a brilliant um, cartoonist in her own right. Uh, yeah, we, um, we kickstarted it through their uh, publishing company, Beehive, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, achieved I mean, that's that. A- that's yeah. another almost critical platform to me in a certain mm. way because there is a, a, a platform now to fund what might not be able you might not be able to do yeah. at another time. Uh huh. Yeah. So like um in a in a way, I guess the the timeline for publishing is you you're always speculating right what mm. um the popularity of something will be like how much you'll print like uh, and I guess there's still some speculation in this case but. You know, you have an opportunity to put the idea out in front of uh, the people who are looking out for what we're doing, and they can decide with, I guess, <laughs> their money uh, yeah. how how much they want to see it. You know, and um, I was fortunate enough to have enough of a reception. Like I have a critical reception almost before, just for the yeah. the notion of what I'm going to yeah. do before they get to see the actual thing that I'm doing. And it's some trust on the audience I really appreciate because um, an, a work that is not complete, I don't know how, if, if it's perceived that way, but like there's a lot that can happen. You yeah, know, like yeah. uh, things evolve and change. So particularly if you're talking about like uh, philosophy or like uh, um, interrogating uh, certain, like aesthetics, like halfway sure. through I could have changed completely how I felt about things with new information. Yeah, right? yeah. So like the theme of the magazine could have changed, but it, you know, it didn't change too much. And I think I gave myself enough room mm. to, uh, to be honest about what I was trying to do. And, uh, I've delivered well, on it. If the culture is a moving target and mm. sometimes it is, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's almost by very, very nature it's going to change. I, I mean, one, one of the things in some ways, what I'm trying to do, cause we don't have a lot of time, but, right, right. but my, you know, my background for myself, not to make this too personal, but I, is that, you know, I went to art school and I came to art school in the 70s at a time where it was about creating a black aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It was about, I mean, Cedric that's Robinson one way. Right? Well, or like all these, or uh, um, I said Cedric Robinson, but like, uh, uh, well, you have contemporaries that were. Um, yeah, I would be like after Cobra, I'd be like the, ah, the, yeah, the artist at, yeah. at, at Howard University, yeah. uh, like my professor uh, Jeff Donaldson. Uh, uh, like Fred Moten at all? Uh, or? I, uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, Nelson Stevens, Wadsworth okay. Jarrell, uh-huh. um, Frank Smith, okay. a lot of guys out of the Chicago uh, um, '60s Black Arts Movement, right. 
Um, I need to. These need, were my professors. I need to get some of the things off of your bookshelf. I think. Well, sure. We yeah, <laughs> we can talk about that too. In fact, there's a whole. Uh, I think the University of Massachusetts has a whole like uh, book that I have at home that of Maybe essays the next around issue, We're gonna have to have a talk. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. We do. The interview. But but <laughs> I, I I'm I'm curious about your. I mean, one of the essays, the nigger aesthetic, mm. uh, and, and which. Uh, I would and I would approach it thinking more of the radical black art mm. uh, uh, and just trying to deal with your definition and your discussion of that word mm. and how it's it's role in culture and art and, and how we are defined and define ourselves mm. I, I mean I, I think you bring a, a generational take to it uh, I'm, we at my time in school there was there was discussion around how that language was used mm. in the culture. Mm. You know, I remember uh, the novelist John Oliver Killens, mm. uh, who was at I was at Howard at the time, wow. and he was he really he was that, that was my first kind of preaching like you can't use this word right. now. Now it can't be taken away, mm. but I was very curious of of how you see it as a generator of of art. Mm. To counter its worst mm. aspects, mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's too tangled a question or what. <laughs> no, like, um, yeah, I think, I think first before I even begin to think about how I would counter uh, the material reality of what the word, mm. like that gives the word power, which mm-hmm. is like what I'm more yeah. concerned with. Yeah, like uh, because like if I can change the material reality that gives the world the word power, then the word is not um, as contentious right? yeah okay and so what i wanted to build was a sort of or try to um produce as an and um a critical framework for understanding uh the history of the word mm-hmm. and like the um subjective yeah. uh, positioning of the word you know in history and politically and to understand the word as having different meanings and different mm-hmm. uses and yeah. functions depending on you know First of all, historically where it yes. is, politically where it is, you know, how mm-hmm. it's used, uh, culturally how it's used. So I think having that conversation can, I think, hopefully allow for us to sort of um, start to think about, well, what is the function of the word? And like, what is it that's truly, um, uh, what is that function that we're truly having a problem with? Because like, really what we need to explore is like, what, what, what's happening in that sense, you know what I mean? Like, what's what's the word yeah. doing, and what's giving the word power, you know? And then maybe then we could do some sort of like judo, jujitsu to kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Flip well, it. It's hard to imagine in American culture the word never having power. Mm. Um, and, and I'm always just sort of, you mean how is it now applied? not having like since this moment not having power in the future? Yeah, I mean in the future. Yeah. I, I mean I don't really believe that the power of that word will ever go away, right, right. and not in the American context yeah. anyway. Um, I mean, it might mean the end of America. As well, well, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's very interesting now, in the, particularly for me as an older guy in the era of hip-hop, I mean, it's interesting, I think, how, uh, some of the things you talked about, because I see it. this word has, its power has shifted into, it, it, it seems to be, I mean, I think the word has, uh, uh, white people look at this word always as, that and how it's, that it's been taken away from them and mm. they want it back. I mean, yeah, yeah. You really get that feeling, right? Uh, yeah, and, and hip hop in some ways I think has enabled that because mm. hip hop has come this amazing lingua franca mm. for really a, a whole generation, black or white. Right. Well, but like the hip hip hop in a in a weird sort of way, uh, that the uh, the obsession with hip hop and the language and the aesthetic language of hip hop and you know the appropriation of its aesthetics is in a, in a weird sort of way without taking the word and using the word um, 
performing that, you know, sort of black life and mm-hmm. that sort of black performance is a way of saying it regardless of whether you say it or not. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like how can you how can you um how can you have this one thing that you were not able to have, right? Like yeah. how can you control that? How can you control black life, you know, and commod you know, commodify it or like, you know, use it in a in a weird sort of way like put it on as a coat, you know, like mm-hmm. so how can you actually uh have, you know, the benefits of whiteness but at the same time like um wear this coat of uh blackness yeah, you yeah. Know? or trade yeah. on it yeah you know or like in a weird sort of way um maybe escape some of the uh ugliness of what it means to be white because like you know whiteness is a prison yeah you know? like it, it yeah. has its benefits yeah right? but it's it's an ugly thing yeah. you know and it's a prison yeah so like i think yeah I don't know if yeah. I answered your question. No, yeah, well, it, you know, it's a spacey question. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But we'll return to this because I could we could I could take any topic in this magazine and we could do an hour on right. it. But, <laughs> but very quickly, what I do want to just jump to hear you comment on is your own cartooning as criticism. Mm. I mean, uh, I, I think that's a dynamic aspect of the, of the culture. Mm. We don't see it a lot. Mm. Uh, you seem to uh, have certainly like um, lighten up and some mm. of the other things you've done. I mean, in, in some ways, even uh, Prince of Cats, I mean, it really is kind of, as you talk about it, mm. you know, uh, a, a critical response to the culture. Mm. So I, I see you reaching out to people. Mm. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is, can we see more of this <laughs> yes, yes, kind yes. of cartooning from you in yes, the future? Yes, sure. I mean, there's not a whole lot of money in doing right, this. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do it when I have a little, you know, when yeah. I'm compelled and I have a little time, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just quickly, because we want to wrap this up here, you've got great contributors. John Jennings, you've got uh, my, uh, my old buddy James Romberger writing mm-hmm. about John, yeah. uh, uh, Michelle, uh, Michelle yeah. Basquiat, Trindor Hancock mm-hmm. also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the reach. I mean, you're reaching into the street, you're reaching into the gallery world, mm-hmm. you're reaching to a new generation mm-hmm. of gallery artists that were indeed. Mm-hmm. Alexander uh, Bell was in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean... Once again, I'm not asking you a question. I'm sort of right. <laughs> admiring what I you're doing. It, man. We're going to continue yeah. to do it. Man. So how often can we expect to see this? What's the next We were coming? thinking, we were projecting yearly just because of all the other yeah. things that I'm doing. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's maybe a better question for Josh. Maybe if we do another PW thing, maybe I can have Josh and Myel in the room or something. Sure, like, sure. Yeah. Answer those yeah. questions. Yeah, Maybe yeah. we'll do something like it, and then we can do have more time to talk yeah, about it. Absolutely. All. Yeah. So, well, you know what we'll do? We'll wrap it up here. But as we always say on this show, there'll be more to come on this thing. Oh, all right. All right. So, yeah. look, uh, uh, Ron. Once again, yeah, man. Thank you for being on More to Come. Yo, yo. Thanks for having me. All right, bet. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, we are back on the floor of TCAF, the Toronto Comic Arts Fest, and we're here at Europe Comics um, booth with Nazeli Kuregan, and I'm leaving off your last name now that you're your new married name, so forgive me, uh, but I'm here uh, uh, with the, the co-authors of Poppies of Iraq, a wonderful memoir by the great French comics artist uh, Louis Tondheim and his wife Brigitte Findickley. Thank you so much for being on More to Come. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me too. Um, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna do some translations here, I think, a little bit. Uh, so, just a couple of questions. It's a a, a really a powerful memoir uh, of uh, of growing up in Iraq, um, but uh, in and until the, into the 1970s um, and before you moved to France. Uh, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book? 
for our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? In fact, the book tells my childhood in Iraq. So my mother is French and my father is Iraqi. The book tells my childhood in Iraq. My mother is French. My father is Iraqi. Et en fait, le livre raconte euh, finalement euh, toutes ces années passées là-bas où euh, malgré euh, la dictature, malgré euh, les, les différents coups d'État, finalement nous avions une vie euh, plutôt normale et heureuse. And the book basically tells uh, my childhood during those years that were considered very difficult uh, and but regardless of the dictatorship, uh, regardless of the political problems, we actually had a very normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious about the style uh, that you've chosen. It's very methodical. The, the art? The art. Well, both the art and the how the information is presented. Yeah, how did you decide on this? Generally, I design animals anthropomorphic. Et je ne me voyais pas dessiner Brigitte en animal, ni toute sa famille. Euh, je voulais que ce soit un petit peu réaliste. Mais comme je ne sais pas dessiner réaliste, j'ai fait des personnages humains, mais minimalistes. Et je pense que le dessin que je fais, c'est un dessin assez enfantin. Et comme Brigitte raconte son enfance, ça, ça, ça correspond beaucoup. And I think that the way I draw my style of the book is very childish. And since Brigitte is telling her childhood, I thought that it would match well with the story. You know, the events uh, of her life and of their, her family and of Iraq, uh, I mean, they're so heartrending in many cases. And the style is engrossing. But there's some distance. Uh, does she is she worried at all about losing some of the emotion of the events? Personnellement, je ne trouve pas que l'émotion soit perdue. Au contraire, je trouve que les choses sont dites d'une manière très très simple, directe, et qu'on perçoit justement. Je pense que c'est suffisant. C'est-à-dire que pour transmettre l'émotion, il n'y a pas besoin de dire comme j'étais triste ou comme j'étais heureuse à ce moment-là. Je pense que le lecteur est suffisamment intelligent pour comprendre. I don't think that there is any uh, emotion lost. I think that uh, we chose to say to tell the story in a very simple way, and I think that's sufficient enough in order to transmit uh, um, the, the emotions of the story. I don't. I wouldn't want to say in my story that oh, I'm very sad or oh, this is difficult. I think the readers are intelligent enough to read through and to to, to understand the feelings of the story. Le piège, souvent, quand on a quelque chose d'émotionnel à raconter, c'est qu'on va, on va, on va l'écrire et on va se souvenir de l'émotion qu'on qu a ressentie à l'époque et on va oublier d'être un narrateur. Et euh, souvent, les gens qui mettent leur trip sur la, sur la table vont pleurer en l'écrivant, mais le lecteur ne va pas avoir les mêmes souvenirs, donc il ne va pas avoir la même émotion en, en lisant. Often, the trap, uh, often authors who tell their own sad stories 
fall in the trap of being too emotional while writing the story, reliving uh, those negative yeah. feelings, for example, but then they forget to describe them properly in the book. Don't we? Do, so we didn't want to fall in this trap. We wanted to be uh, to transmit the story as it is without getting too emotional and risking not to, to transmit the message. Et, 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 et on, on voulait surtout euh, garder une certaine distance et ne pas réécrire des dialogues. C'est-à-dire que Brigitte raconte les choses telles qu'elle s'en souvenait, mais sans faire de, de pathos et sans réécrire des dialogues imaginaires. Yeah. We did want to keep a distance in the sense that we didn't put too many dialogues. We just wanted to tell the story the way Brigitte remembers it. We didn't want to put too much pathos in it. Um, I, I'd be curious to know what the reactions to the book are, both from other uh, Ar other Arabs, uh, maybe expatriates, uh, and her family. La réaction des gens, de même de ta famille et d'autres Irakiens envers le livre. Le livre a été bien accueilli, en tout cas par ma famille, vraiment. Quand je dis ma famille, je parle de plutôt enfin, mes parents, ma famille proche, puisque le livre à l'époque était en français et que tout le reste de ma famille en Irak ne parle que l'anglais. Mm -hmm. Donc au niveau de, à ce niveau-là, ils étaient très contents parce que c'est aussi leur histoire, bien entendu. Uh, my family, by which I mean my parents, because mm -hmm. my, my larger family, they, they cannot read it yet, uh, because it's only in French and yeah, English. Uh, but uh, my parents, they were really, they received it uh, very well, they loved the book because it is their story too. Yes. Et sinon, j'ai aussi des réactions, effectivement, d'Irakiens qui m'ont dit que, pareil, en fait, ils avaient été très touchés et ils étaient très contents qu'enfin on parle de l'Irak autrement que, que ce qu'on entend habituellement et, et même l'ambassadeur d'Irak en France l'a appelé um, I, have, uh, I have received feedback from other Iraqis and they are very very happy they're very glad that someone is telling a story about Irak and that someone is telling a story that's good that because most of the things we hear now around us about Iraq are very negative and even the ambassador of Iraq in France has invited uh, has invited uh -huh. Brigitte and Luis uh, and he has congratulated their work um, I, I, I'm curious of a comparison uh, uh, particularly the part the, about her mother um, who uh, was French and, and left immediately uh, to go to Iraq uh, with a, the book like Arab of the Future Uh, well, there seems to be a similarity in the For me, it has strictement rien à voir, c'est-à-dire que ma mère n'est pas du tout comme la mère de Riyad, ce n'est pas du tout dans la même période et leur leur parcours n'est pas du tout identique. I personally don't see any similarity. For me, uh, the time period was different. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no similarity between my mother and Riyad Satou's mother. The, their path was different, their experience was different. Sure. So I, I don't I see... The only, the only thing in common is that they were both, they are both French. I meant more the, a certain sense of courage and adventure to leave to a different a different land a different culture far from home very brave and very dynamic en fait j'ai demandé à ma mère ce qu'elle connaissait de l'Irak quand elle a rencontré mon père en France elle m'a dit je ne connaissais pas du tout même même pas l'existence de ce pays et je lui ai dit mais et tu n'as pas eu peur comme ça de te marier et d'aller vivre là-bas elle me dit non parce qu'en fait je n'avais aucune attache en France parce que je le raconte dans le livre on peut 
comprendra pourquoi elle n'avait aucune In fact, uh, in fact, I did ask my mother, how did uh, how did you do this? How could you did you know anything about Iraq before leaving uh, France and just going there? Weren't you afraid? And she said, I didn't know anything about the country. But to be honest, I wasn't afraid at all because as I say in the book, she didn't have a strong attachment mm -hmm. with France. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, one last question, and I, you probably get this question a lot. How, working together as a husband and wife, how do you hand off, how do you resolve creative disagreements? The only problem is that, as we were married for 22 years together, we risked surtout to divorce if we didn't understand. In fact, the only problem is that since we've been married for 22 years, we risked uh, getting divorced. So we had to uh, understand each other and, and find a solution for every problem. <laughs> and thankfully, we did. All right, good. <laughs> We're still here together. Uh, well, it really it's a wonderful book. It really is a window into... Uh, and Iraq that obviously most Americans know nothing about. Uh, so, look, thank you so much uh, for giving me some time and being on More to Come. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, welcome back to More to Come. Uh, TCAF live from Toronto Comic Arts Festival at the Toronto Reference Library. Uh, Heidi McDonald here, and I am with Carolyn Nowak here at the Top Shelf booth. Carolyn, how are you doing? I'm tired. Oh, well, it is Sunday. We call yeah. it Puffy Sunday yeah. or Dragon Sunday. Yeah. Um, is this your first TCAF? Uh, I mean, I've attended like five times probably. This is my first time like being in the program and like being behind tables, which is really exciting because TCAF is my favorite. Yeah, it is hard not to love everything about comics when you leave here. It's so true. Yeah. Um, but now you, so your book is Girl, Girl Town, which is coming out in this fall mm -hmm. from Top Show? Yeah, at, at SPX. Right, oh, at SPX. All right. So tell us a little about this, this book. Um, it's just a collection of my short comics. Um, it's it's like a little bit hard to talk about, I guess, because like it's it's work that I've um, I put out over like three years or so. But it's kind of my dream project. I've always like wanted to do a collection of short comics, um, and so I was like really thrilled when Top Shelf suggested it. Um, but they're all about like women. Right. Which is not even like a thing I did intentionally. I'm just like, I'm not creative enough to be like, uh, to like imagine being a different person, I guess. It's about people, isn't it? Yeah, it's about, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It is, it is, it turned out being very feminine uh, in, in a way that I like didn't even necessarily intend, but that's kind of just how my work always goes. Right. I'm always just like, oh, I guess that's, it's this now. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. So you did it originally as mini comics or a web comic? Uh, yeah, mini comics. Um, the first one, um, The first story in it is called Girl Town, and it's 14 pages. And I originally did that actually for an anthology mm -hmm. called Irene. Do you know the Irene sure. anthology? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I did Radishes, which is the second comic for it was. It's like an all ages comic, and I did that because I was like tabling at an all ages convention. And I had nothing appropriate, and so I was like, I better throw something together. <laughs> and then there was, I mean, these are all basically like assignments, like. Then there's Diana's Electric Tongue, which is the longest comic in the book. It's like almost 70 pages. No, that one, uh, was that done for Shortbox? Yes, it was. Ah, okay. The great Zena Bakhtar, who's also here. Yeah. I know. I keep seeing her and I'm like, I want to say hi, but uh, she's so cool. I know. And she's surrounded also. It's very busy. Yeah, no, I keep seeing her with like a posse too. And I'm yeah. just like, I cannot. I, 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 I'm just not smart enough to like yeah. speak to her. Even though she's, <laughs> she's like incredibly nice and she's like... She has, like, said so many nice things to me over the years that have been, like, uh, 
I don't know, like a light in the dark sometimes. Well, uh, Zaynab is also, uh, I mean, I will say she used to write for the beat, so I, oh, okay. uh, I feel like, you know, uh, incredibly uh, thrilled every time I see her doing amazing things because she's amazing. Yeah. But, um, uh, I was going to ask you how there, I mean, I'll be brutally honest. There's an awful lot of really good cartoonists here, you know, yeah. and you're a very good cartoonist. Um, but it's kind of hard to stand out sometimes a little bit. And like having a publisher like Zainab, I, who really is focused on, on, on things and on quality, you know, yeah, she kind of has a laser focus. Yeah, no, it, it makes me feel amazing. I mean, like the first time she encountered my work was because I like, I did hourly comic day, which is not a thing I usually do, but I was sick. And so I was like, whatever, I guess I'll do this today. Um, and then she like featured it on her roundup. <clears throat> and, um, I don't know. I was like, thank God. <laughs> thank God I did that. Thank God Zainab like shined her light upon me. Right. And I don't know. She's, she's amazing. And then she also, but I mean, you know, being in a publisher, like a prestige publisher like that also gets you noticed by a top shelf who has a more, a little more, per, you know, commercial profile, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you, I, I'm always fascinated when talking to cartoonists now, especially like, you know, emerging cartoonists, just in that, it, you know, there isn't really one way to get a career anymore. No, that's true. I mean, I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing, pretty much. I'm just like, I'll just randomly do this and this and this, and it's working out really well. I mean, especially with the short box thing, because like, um, Dinosector Tongue came out in Shortbox, which was like an internationally distributed um, right. collection, and um, <laughs> my Italian publisher bought it, and then they published my book in Italian, and they gave me a free trip to Italy, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't like doing comics. I barely make enough money to live, but like. Well, at least I got a free trip to Italy out of right, it. That was, right. like, amazing. We do take our, our perks where we can get them. Yeah. But you're also working on Buffy? Yeah, I'm doing a middle-grade um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's, like, half a graphic novel and half, like, diary entries from Buffy. It's, yeah, it's, like... Diary of a Buffy kid. Yeah, yeah. So she's, <laughs> like, it's kind of, like, an, it's sort of, like, a reboot. She's, like, 11, and she's got different friends and a different watcher, and she lives in Cleveland instead of um, Sunnydale. Because ah. there's like a throwaway line that's like, there's a Hellmouth in Sunnydale, and there's also one in Cleveland. <laughs> so that's like, right. So that's why we did that. Um, but yeah, that's also out in the fall. Right. Which and is why, like. Now, but doing a 180 from that, I'm holding your No yeah. Better Words, which is uh, more adult in content. This yeah. is from our friends at Silver Sprocket, yeah. who we interviewed recently on the podcast. And, They're uh, the best. They really are. But this is a little naughty, right? There's it's pretty naughty. naughty. Yeah. You know what? It's... Um... There's really only like three page. There's only like three pages of oh, actual. I'm smut. skipping ahead to the smut. <laughs> um, wow, it's a big buildup, though. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it was just the thing that I really wanted to do, and um, I released it as a PDF on my birthday because I was like, people will give me more attention on my birthday. Very smart. And um, I released it as a PDF on Gumroad, and then I donated all of those sales to Planned Parenthood. Wonderful. Because I was like, I want to do a porn comic, but I would like a really good excuse to do it. Um, and I, I was blessed with like a free month, so that's it was. It was like probably like one of my favorite months. I love drawing porn. I, I, all I did was just like wake up, draw porn, <laughs> go to sleep, and then I got to make a bunch of money for Planned Parenthood, and that's great. Yeah. Um. So it was like, it was just like a dream. But um, 
I, I ran into Avi at Cake that year, like, before I even made the comic, and I'm, they had been, like, bothering me for a while to, like, pitch something to them. Um, not bothering, but I, we were at a barbecue, and I was really drunk, and I was like, Avi, I'm gonna make yeah. porn comic, do you want it? And Avi was like, yes, and so. So many ideas happen at gatherings where alcohol is served. Yeah. It really is true. Yeah. Um, uh, you are from Michigan? Yes. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so you're, you're journeying here. Now, did you go to school for art or cartooning or? Yeah, you... I went to the University of Michigan ah. School of Art and Design. Is that, do they have a Wolverine or a, a, a what, Fisher Cat? I mean, what are they? It's a Wolverine. The, the mascot is a Wolverine. Okay. Yeah. You know, you see, I know so much about college sports. Right. Yeah. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> Well, you would have to know what it was if you went there. So. Yeah. I uh, couldn't avoid it. Yeah. As yeah. much as I wanted to. I was going to say, yeah, the Wolverines came and tore up the pages of art and mm. made a nest. <laughs> uh, but um, U of M, like the art program is like a little bit loosey-goosey. It's like very fine art based. Mm -hmm. But um, Phoebe Gleckner teaches there. Oh, yes, of course. So um, I took a couple classes with her. That was really like the extent of it. I mean, it's very like, it's very like... Um, do do your own thing kind of college but it worked it worked out okay. yeah. but who are some of the cartoonists that you were like really looking at though as you were kind of you know like I, as role models you know honestly I was until I was like 21 or 22 I was like completely ignorant of all comics like I I didn't even come to TCAF until I was like 23 or so I like I'd never been to like a festival like this um like I'd been to Wizard World oh dear and I was like because I wanted to do comics and I had no idea what that meant. So I would go to Wizard World and I was like, this is fine. <laughs> but I thought that was like all of comics. And so I would like write comics. I never like produced any because I was like waiting for the day when I was a good enough drawer, which I don't know if people will relate to that. But like that was my idiotic strategy. Right. But I was, I was just like, I'm going to make comics, but they're not going to be about superheroes. Yeah. And I thought that that was like the most original idea because I was just completely ignorant. But like the first, probably the first comic that I read that didn't have a superhero in it was Bone. Mm -hmm. And then I got into web comics. Like in, I mean, I read web comics when I was a child, but like Penny Arcade and stuff like that. Right, um, right, right. Well, there was only a few, and there one was Penny Arcade. So. Yeah, yeah. I got an office job, and so I spent all my time reading web comics. And then, <laughs> and then I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of my influences kind of came later, really. Um, but I know Girl Town was Girl Town was like the mini was directly influenced by um, Kelly Link, okay, um, who's an author, not a not a cartoonist, and I don't know. I just it's hard to, it's hard to list people like that. Oh I don't well, know. I mean, but yeah. a lot of people are. I'm just I'm, by authors as well too. Right? You know? Yeah. I mean, having an author, obviously, there's a strong sense of kind of humor right. also and yeah. I mean, you know a lot of that can be coming from uh, prose authors as well yeah so, yeah um yeah I mean it's uh, it's a big wide world I mean for me coming to a show like TCAP is just incredible to discover new people and uh, I mean I sort of was aware of your work before but not really in depth and and now I know more about it yeah, so, yeah. so after we've chatted but um I will see you at um at ALA, you'll be there yeah. and touring the storm, barnstorming the Midwest. Uh, Sweating my tits off our... in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely be more to come there. Thank you so much, Carolyn. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you.
Welcome to more to come. PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. Um, this is Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. This week, live from Toronto. Uh, it's a busy hubbub, you can probably hear. Uh, I'm sitting here with the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Eddie Campbell. Eddie, how are you? Hello, podcast. <laughs> PW. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Eddie's life is a glamorous whirl of, of podcasts and and other excitement, so he can't even keep it straight anymore. Um, Eddie, have you been to TCAF before? No, first time. And? I think it's one of the best. This, this is really good. A library. Who would have thought of having a comic convention in a library? Yeah. Uh, it should have happened earlier. <laughs> It seems to me whenever I go to these Italian or Spanish conventions, they're always in some hangar on the outskirts of town. But here we are, right, right in the middle of town, next to the Marriott. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it is the best part, most expensive part of Toronto, apparently. Uh, and this is one of the largest libraries in North America. So, yeah, it's glorious. So, Eddie, we've, you know, this is, I'm sorry, listeners, this is another one of those. Heidi's known this person for 30 years, and uh, we will try not to be old farts, but you remember the time that we were hanging out? Um, but, Eddie, we have been a, a bit on this journey together. Um, I think I first saw your work at Escape Magazine back in the day. Oh. Oh my goodness, that's the early 80s. I know, it, yes, I wasn't lying, 30 plus years. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so uh, uh, while you, uh, Eddie's signing a copy of Bizarre Romance, his um, collaboration with uh, with your bride, Audrey Niffenegger, perhaps yes. we'll discuss that a bit. The um, great Audrey Niffenegger. Yes, the great, the great, the woman, the myth, the legend, uh, uh, Audrey Niffenegger. Um, but anyway, Eddie, so yeah, I, a lot of times, um, even on the podcast, Calvin and I sit and we say, you know what, we won. <laughs> you know, like we had this vision of of comics and graphic novels as they could be, and uh, now we jet around the world going to glamorous library events. Uh, I mean, do you ever feel that way? Or <laughs> I do today. When I'm sitting at home and in, 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 my, in my dinner table studio, it's easy to get despondent and, and forget that there are people out here looking forward to the book. Yeah. Um, you get out here and meet them. It, it's lovely. See their cheery faces. And, <laughs> and they'll come with a bag of 30 years worth of books and they want a signature in every one. And you, and you feel humble. Do you think, so, somebody's been collecting all my work all this time and I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who that person was. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is great to come here, and um, you know it's a range. I mean, it's very young fans and new fans, old fans. I mean, it's it's amazing just yeah, how many yeah. people. And I like this show because it it is readers. Mm-hmm. As it's right that it's in a library because it's it's not people in masks. It's not you know, it's not three stormtroopers who are, who are waiting for the next event to happen and just hanging out at the nearest book table. Right. right. It's not somebody who's been sleeping here all night and he's forgotten what, what he's doing in life. It's it's fresh-faced, lovely people who are reading books. Uh, well, I can't wait to see uh, your TCAF comics. Now, are you still doing kind of any autobiographical comics that are, you know, like your diary strips at all? Not at the moment. I, I, somebody just asked that, and I was remembering the, a, couple, a couple of different... There was one in an NBM anthology called The Tipping Point. There was mm-hmm. another one in the collector's edition of The Truth is a Cave. Remember The Truth is a Cave oh, in the yes. Black Mountain? Oh, I'll never forget that. We yeah, should talk yeah, about that too, but yeah. But um, uh, 
I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a collection of stuff in the future. It might be a way off. But whenever somebody gives me a chance, I, I, I'll do a little eight-page piece or something. Right, right. Uh, well, you have such a huge range of work. Um, and, of course, you know, classics. The, it's, a, it's a landscape dotted with towering classics, one of which is From Hell. Uh, obviously. Now, I heard a little whisper that there might be a new edition of Fromhell. Well, well, this is the big announcement. This is the big reveal. The um, IDW wanted to put it out in parts again. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that'll only work if we do something drastically different. You know, we can't just repeat what we did 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. The parts come out from 91 to 96. So this time, we're going to colorize it. Well, I'm colorizing it. It's all me. And um, hold on, Eddie's signing. He's signing another copy of this. Uh, I highly recommend Bizarre Romance. It is both of those things. It is bizarre and it is romance, and uh, it's actually a fascinating, uh, you know, collaboration between you and Audrey. The two, the melding of two quite, quite unique sensibilities. Let's put in, it that in, way. In life as in art. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I married the lovely Audrey two years ago. Um, having found myself single for a couple of years, and um, <laughs> happy as the day is long. Oh, there you go. We like to hear that, especially on Mother's Day. So, um, oh God, is it Mother's Day? It is oh, Mother's. Jesus. I know. I gotta call. I gotta call my mom as soon as this is over. Actually. Uh, anyway, speaking of mothers, let's go back to From Hell, the story of Jack the Ripper. Okay. And. Uh, <laughs> So, so anyway, so, so you. So this is what we're doing. Okay. I'm revising it for color, clarity, and continuity. I'm not just coloring; I'm fixing things that have been wrong for 30 years. Oh my God! Like, for instance, Netley's wearing a scarf on an August day. You know, even in mm. London, <laughs> summer days are not. You don't need a scarf. Right. Uh, you know what, what do you call them in America? Muff uh, muffler, yeah, no, yes, muffler. Uh, a scarf, neckerchief, yes, a handkerchief. He's wearing a big woolly scarf, and I've taken that out. He's driving a different carriage from one panel to the next. I've clarified it. Oh, uh, uh, wow. Now, dare I ask about your collaborator on this project? He wasn't sure, but I've convinced him it's a good idea. Oh, wow. So, Alan, this is sanctioned by Alan Moore? Oh, yeah. I'm one of the people he still gets on with. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, Alan is a lovely person. and He's and one of the best. He is. And this myth that he's always in a rage is such a myth. Um, I mean, he's often not in a rage is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a gentleman. He, he is. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to hear that this is done with his, with his blessing because otherwise I would... Uh, you know, it'd be a little bit weird, but I mean, that's great. But um, uh, what a, what kind of approach to color? I mean, are you just stocking up on red or? <laughs> yeah, as the uh, I think it was Lee Lee Walton came up with the, the blurb. Mm -hmm. Jack is back. <laughs> and this time the color. Well, let me start again. Jack is back, and this time the blood is red. <laughs> it's right. got to be in that voice. Yeah, when, uh, no, what is the uh, project, projected uh, release date for this? September. Okay, all right. So, when they, because I've got two in the, two in the can, and um, they said, we want this out at the earliest. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I, I don't know if this is the scoop or not, but um, certainly hearing Eddie talk about it is, uh, is awesome. Um, so, uh, all right, so that's what's keeping you busy right now. That and touring with bizarre romance. And yes, uh, an album of short stories, which I've turned Audrey, I've turned Audrey's prose mm -hmm. 
into comics or if, if I felt it was too complicated to, to make a comic, I, I illustrated with a big title page and a few spot illustrations. Right. Did but, I... There was one story where I thought it would give it away if I panelled it all the way through. So, oh, There's another one, Audrey's piece, The Composite Boyfriend. I thought the perfect illustration for that would be a paper doll. So it's a, you've got a naked man and, and you can it's the little tabs you can attach his clothes on. Yeah, You could attach his other body parts too, which are, I thought was absolutely the best. You can have him. You have a regular yeah. circumcised or figly. <laughs> I love that Eddie said regular or circumcised. Um, so I gave uh, away far too much. Uh, yes, well, uh, the world is an interesting place. But yes, the composite boyfriend is absolutely uh, um, spot on. Um, you use so many different artistic styles in this book, though. Um, how did that... Well, when the young Will Eisner did that, it was because he wanted to convince clients. He had a whole team of guys working for him. But um, more seriously, I think every story demands its own style. Every From Hell has a style. Each of the stories in this book, Bizarre Romance, has a different quality about it and needed a different approach. And so, yeah, at first glance, it looks like there's 13 different artists, but uh, I, en I enjoy rethinking and, 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 and making making a moment, an event, mm. of the look of an individual story. Right. It's not just that you arrive with your tools, do the job, and then go to the next job. Each one has to be conceived as, a, as, as, a, as an individual, unique event, I think. Yeah. So I might use, I might use typesetting and computer effects or, or I know, there's one where I've used old-fashioned ink there's another one where I've used gouache grays you know. uh, everyone looks different now are these styles that you've you've experimented with over the years or that did you develop any of them for this specifically I mean you know I mean I, I, I know a lot of artists and usually they they doodle in their other style maybe uh, but more and more I've been using the computer and I don't know that everybody likes to see the whole thing done with the computer but the story um, uh, Jacob and the Angels for instance is done entirely on the computer I think that's the that's the story that people will probably respond to best it's, a, it's, it's about a man who's got, he's, he's got ruckus in the attic and he gets the exterminators in and they say I'm sorry sir it's not squirrels, it's angels. <laughs> and then they go out to the van and get the... Uh, the, the, uh, the, the what do you call them? The, the, the flamethrowers. Oh, yeah. They get the flamethrowers mm -hmm. and then there's this huge battle royal in the attic with the angels. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, yeah. It's, there's some unexpected twists and turns. Um, you know, Eddie, you were doing uh, your history of comedy. You were doing some rather introspective and vast and unknowable kind of projects. Um, are you, do you still uh, um, dabble with those as well? Or? Well, I've got another new book out, The, the Goat Getters. Oh. Colon, Jack Johnson, The Fight of the Century, and How a Bunch of Raucous Cartoonists Reinvented Comics. Oh, boy. Now, who put that book out? SIDW. Okay. All right. It's a huge big book. Oh, well, they never told me about it, so get on that, kids. Um, is it out now? Yeah, it's one over there. Oh, all right. All but, right. Um, I've gone back to the to the old 
newsprint and microfilm and I've looked at the newsprint as a holistic environment because things were always happening between one section and the other in, in newspapers and all we've ever seen is they pull out the funnies and the funnies don't really need a context but but there are all these other kinds of cartooning and all the great cartoonists were working in the other sections like George Harriman Rube Goldberg these were both sports page cartoonists yeah my book is really about the story of the sports page. Like Crazy Cat started on the sports page. Right. Well, well um, I, I want to circle back to that, too. But, but yeah. Because, um, well, uh, in the recent book about George Harriman, there's actually, uh, I went to the talk that the author gave, mm -hmm. and he actually talks a lot about that and how, uh, you know, he surmises that... Um, George Harriman, because of his, was mixed race and how that impacted on his work. And he actually uses the Jack Johnson fight yeah. and the reaction to him. Oh, as the Jack Johnson fight is one of the, the colossal crisis moments in, in the 20th century. Yeah. So much happens in that moment uh, where, where black and white, you know, it's a racial confrontation. It should have been just a boxing match, but it's a racial confrontation. The next day, 23 people died in riots all over the United States. Wow. But mostly instigated by white guys who couldn't bear the thought that they had lost, that their great white hope had, had lost. And uh, the, the black champion remained... Uh, ascendant. Ascendant. Yeah. So it's a crucially interesting moment. I've examined it from the, the point of view of the cartoons at the time. I've told the story using the cartoons. Oh, wow. So, uh, well, this is... By Harriman, Goldberg, Tad Dorgan, Robert Edgren, and uh, other artists that are completely forgotten, except by me. Wow. Well, this actually sounds like an incredible work of scholarship, because, wow, so much has changed in 100 years, hasn't it? Like, there's hardly any racial divides in, uh, in the United States. Yeah, before. we've left all that so far behind us. We, <laughs> we have to explain what it was all about. <laughs> A horrible irony there, uh, obviously. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that was just, this is totally parenthetical, but uh, I was just reading how the Russians, when they were targeting Facebook, uh, they used race. Like, they would put up all these ads for, like, race-baiting sites and target the opposite group, and, like, on both sides. I'm like, wow, you guys Russians know us so well. Um, it really, really is a shock. Um, Eddie, just to, to touch really quickly, you did mention, um, and now I'm going to mess up the name, but uh, Love is in the Black Cave. What is the name of that? Truth is a cave in the Black Mountain. I had several of the words, but that I'm was a that was the last um, new book I did. Really, in the last couple of years, they put out the, the big Bacchus collections. But the last new book I did was the one with Neil Gaiman, mm -hmm. and it's a it takes place in a in in, in a alternate version of reality. I suppose I kind of fantasy version of, of like 17th century Scotland. And the book is, the book is, is a narrative that sort of it. But but Neil and I took this around the world. And it was part of a performance where mm -hmm. my paintings. You were there, weren't you? Yes, I was at Carnegie Hall, at ladies. Carnegie and gentlemen. Hall. How did you get to Carnegie <laughs> Hall? Practice. Yeah, draw comics. Practice. <laughs> and my paintings were projected behind Neil reading his story, and. We were accompanied by a, a, a rock and roll string quartet. With, well, I say rock and roll, they had all the wah-wah pedals and everything, the, the fuzz pedals and so on. Brilliant music. 
composed especially for the, and it was a 70-minute reading. It was brilliant. It was great fun. And the book is... I, I took all the material and turned it into a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, I mean, I saw, I have the book, I saw the performance. It was absolutely one of the most uh, amazing things. Um, just the music and, of course, Neil narrating it. And, and the twists and turns of the story are, are devastating. It is a very powerful piece that haunts me to this day. I'm not, no lie, no lie. But in the, in the multimedia sense, really, I mean, I, I will say I think it finds its, its greatest achievement as with the music and the, the, the drama and the moment, actually, which is unusual for a comic. I mean, it's a very interesting multimedia piece. Are, are you thinking yeah. of exploring anything else along? I mean, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but... Yeah, I... I I'm making it up as I go along. You know, it's uh, it's one of the reasons I'm enjoying doing From Hell. It's uh, I know there's 600 pages of this. I I don't have to worry about next week. Right. You know, I've got I've got a job. It's like having a job. It's like going to work. Yeah. I get up in the morning and I know what my job is. And to us freelancers, that's a big deal. Oh yeah. Uh, to tell me about it. That's why I've done the beat for so long. It's like I just get up. What should I do today? Oh, I'll work on the beat. Or Publishers Weekly. Um, well, Eddie, I'm going to let you get back to your signing and um, with Audrey. And you guys are on tour. you have any other stops coming up? Are you finishing up or starting uh, we'll up? We'll be at San Diego. We'll be at Cake in Chicago. And I think we're doing the the, the, the Book Fest in Brooklyn in September. Okay. So we, 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 we're getting about. Oh, wow. All right. We have many chances to see this, uh, you know, dynamic couple of comics and, and literature here. Uh, but, Eddie, thank you so much. For thanks, Heidi. It's been great to see you. Yeah, you're definitely. You're a dear old friend. Oh, it's great to see you, and I'm glad to see you doing I should say old. Oh, we are. It's you're, okay. It's all right. Uh, yes. A long time. Friend. Less long time. Veterans. We're veterans. Vet- all right. Veterans of this war. Well, there will definitely be more to come.